episode 113 of the Small Business Big Marketing Show. In this episode, I chat with franchising expert Greg Nathan about the good, the bad, and the ugly side of franchising. Welcome to the Small Business Big Marketing Show, where successful small business owners share their secrets to take your marketing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Tim Reid. G'day everyone and welcome back to episode 113 of Australia's number one ranking marketing show. I'm your host, Timbo Reid. You are a motivated small business owner, in case you didn't know, and we are brought to you by the very good folk at Net Registry who will help get your online marketing sorted across all sorts of areas. SEO, AdWords, websites, hosting, domains, you name it, guys. If you need to get yourself found online, I'd be tapping net registry on the shoulder right this very moment. Go to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com, click on the banner on the right-hand side where it says net registry, and it will be happy days forever after. Hey, um, got an interesting interview today. It's all about franchising, and it's probably a discussion I reckon this show should have had months ago because, you know, there are a lot of small businesses in Australia and the world that are franchises. So probably an overdue discussion, but I'm thinking it's going to be a pretty good one. More on that in a minute. Um, It has been a busy time for me over the last few months, been doing a lot of speaking engagements and getting in front of hundreds and hundreds of small business owners. And every now and then, you know, when you do speak to that many small businesses, you get a sense of of what is floating their boat, is what's ringing their bell and what isn't. Every now and then there's someone falling asleep in the back. I don't take that personally, but more often than not, um, it's those aha moments where people uh, people light up, come up afterwards, ask more questions, and you just know that yeah, that area of small business big of small business marketing is of interest to them. And um, I want to share some of those with you over the coming weeks. Um, One in particular uh, of many is this concept of creating an experience within your business. And it was a question that, or a concept that I share in every single one of my presentations, which is all about, you know, it asks the question, what is the experience that a prospect goes through when they're dealing with you? right? And it's really worth considering all the elements to that. And what I suggest is that you timeline um, that experience from the moment um, a prospect comes into contact with your business online or through word of mouth or by passing your store or hearing you speak or whatever it may be, through to the time that they um, make an inquiry, they call you, they they uh, come into your store, they send you an email, through to the time they purchase from you and then post-purchase. And all away along that timeline um, are little, what I would call moments of truth, where you, the business owner, the marketer, have an opportunity to make it a really good experience. So what I encourage you to do is, is map out that little experience timeline, if you like, and look at what those moments of truth are, where you can really add some value and help build that emotional connection between you and your prospect. Because as you know, if you've been a listener for a long time, when I talk about brand, I talk about that need to build an emotional attachment between you and your customer base. And creating a great brand experience is a great example of that. Just go and have a look at some of the brands you love and think about the experience they offer you 
when you're dealing with them. I think Boost Juice in Australia is a great example of a, a, a an experience that starts the moment you walk into a shopping centre and see and hear and smell that Boost Juice shop through to actually buying one and then walking around the shopping centre afterwards with your Boost Juice cup and seeing other people with that Boost Juice cup, being part of the tribe, and that whole thing's an experience. Apple offer a fantastic experience. Airlines offer a great experience. So, Guys, it's a, it's a marketing concept that is really worth understanding, and uh, my challenge to you is to sit down and and just timeline the experience that your business offers and ask yourself how can you improve on it. Okay, hey, um, talked about net registry earlier. The other thing I would suggest you do is go to the small business bigmarketing.com blog because I get so many listener questions that Net Registry are now helping me answer those questions. And um, if you go to the blog, you will find some listener questions there with some wonderfully in-depth answers from the online marketing experts at Net Registry. Now, Greg Nathan is a franchising expert. Greg used to be one of the leading, if not the leading franchisees within the Brumbies Bakery Group within Australia. He owned three of their bakeries and was absolutely nailing it at the franchisee level. He is also the author of Profitable Partnerships, which is a book all about improving your franchising relationships and changing your life as a result. He sold 60,000 copies of that book, by the way. That is not insignificant. Um, Greg is now Australia's leading industry consultant on franchising. He has a company called the Franchise Relationships Institute. And Greg and I met about two weeks ago um, at a workshop that we were both speaking at and got to know him and thought, you know what, gee, I haven't had this discussion around franchising at all on small business, big marketing. And I think it's time we did because, you know, franchises, A, are small businesses and B, they're intensified small businesses because they're already part of what I would say is a big brand. You know, that's why people buy into a franchise because of the strength of the brand. They were attracted to that, the bakery brand or the juice brand or the printing brand or whatever that franchise group is about. So I think there is a lot to learn from franchising and you know, it's just as applicable to any small business as it is to anyone listening who is already a franchisee or a franchisor. So I got talking to Greg, said, come on the show, let's have a chat about this whole franchising thing. You know, who should buy one, who shouldn't buy one? What are the franchising um, areas that are really booming in the world at the moment? Some of the must-dos around franchising. So we cover a lot of ground in this, this interview. Hope you enjoy it. Pen and paper at the ready. There is lots of marketing gems just dripping from the ceiling of this interview. I hope you enjoy it. I'll see you on the other side. Greg Nathan, welcome to Small Business Big Marketing. Hi, Tim. A pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, and it's actually a pleasure to be talking about something that we've not yet touched on uh, after 112 or so interviews that I've done. We haven't talked about franchising, so I'm really keen, and I know many of our listeners will be keen to hear about it. So mm. what I want to know, where I want to start, Greg, is who shouldn't buy a franchise? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, look, there's a bit of a myth out there that, um, and it's it is uh, promoted by the franchising sector itself that somehow the franchise system is going to make you successful. 
Um, it's a bit like a motor car. You can buy a car, but you still got to learn to drive it and you can still crash into poles and do yourself some damage. So I think anyone um, who's not prepared to do all the normal work that they would do in running a business shouldn't buy a franchise. It's still a business and all the normal business principles apply. It's just got another layer of opportunity and complexity overlaid over the top of the normal business. So... uh, um is it too simplistic to say, or biggest, is it too much of a generalisation to say, Greg, that there'd be a lot of people who go and buy a franchise thinking that it's all going to be done for them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then... And then and this is one of the frustrations that franchisors uh, talk to, to me about. And it's good, probably good if we establish up front, Tim, the roles of the franchisor and the franchisee. So if anyone's listening, they don't get confused. Yeah. Because it is common that people get them mixed up. So the franchisor is the person or the company that owns the brand mm-hmm. and owns the intellectual property and the systems. Started the concept. Yeah, often they've started or they may have even bought the concept off another company, Mm -hmm. but they own it. And their job is to um, make sure that the brand is protected and to expand that brand in as many relevant markets as possible. Yep. So, so they basically license out their intellectual property to business, to small business owners. And the idea, and they would be the franchisee who's paying for the rights mm-hmm. to use this intellectual property. And so they're the franchisee and uh, their job is to drive the business and to do justice to the brand. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, so, okay, so going back to then that yep. generalisation that I made, which you seem to agree with, which is, you know, there are people who go and buy into a franchise thinking it's all going to be done for them. Well, really, the, all the business uh, requirements still apply. You've still got to manage people. You've still got to promote. There is a, an additional layer of opportunity because the yeah. franchise brings brand. I mean, you know. And a lot of experience and a lot of, as you know, um, Tim, in running a business, to be profitable, a lot of the secret is to systematise as many things as possible so you're running really efficiently. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think in franchising, this is one of the areas where the franchisee can get a, a competitive edge mm. is they can, if they follow the system and the systems have been well thought through, then they can operate incredibly efficiently mm-hmm. because they basically do away with the learning curve of having to experiment and get their product you know, right, you know, in marketing, we, you know, we talk about, you know, having the right product at the right price and the right positioning and so on. Mm-hmm. Well, the franchise system should have done a lot of that pre-work for them. So a lot of their focus is in just excellence in implementation. Yeah, right. And Process. not having to think about, well, how much should I tell, sell this for and what's the best way I should, you know, promote this product? It should have all been thought through for you. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you don't have to work your butt off still. No, of course, but that's really interesting. So what you're saying is like to be a successful franchisee, you should a, a lot of your focus should be on implementing the, the, yeah. the rules of the franchise or the, the conditions yeah. of the franchise. Yeah. And you were asking me earlier who shouldn't be a franchisee. Yeah. I reckon people like you and me mm-hmm. shouldn't be franchisees because yeah. we have big egos <laughs> and we like to create new stuff and, you know, experiment and stuff. Yeah. And that can be a real problem for, for us and the franchisor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I actually was a franchisee for a while. You were. And, yep. And uh, I did cause problems for myself and my franchise or because I was always fiddling with the recipes. You know, I was in the Brumbies Bakery Group 
and, you know, fiddling with the recipes and trying to come up with better ways to make stuff. And it's it's not really a good use of your time and energy. I, I, I kind of just don't get that hit, that mindset because, you know, you've bought into a franchise because you've been attracted by the brand. Something, yeah. something about that brand has appealed to you emotionally. It's like, wow, you know, like they, they just they, they seem to be doing something right. I want to be a part of that. Why? And I see this in franchisees that I speak to where they they challenge things. They challenge the marketing or they challenge the, the ingredients, the recipes or like why would you do that? Why not just All go, right. and, why not go and start your own business? Look, it's a good question because there's, there is a, a, some common sense we've got to apply to all this. Some things are good to challenge. So no one, you know, in life should take everything at face value because you basically um, get manipulated if you, if you don't challenge in, and use your sense of judgment. But it's a matter of um, with marketing, I think it is good for the franchisee if the marketing department hasn't provided a rationale for why we're doing certain things or they haven't tested certain marketing programs and there's no evidence that it's going to work or not. I think it's fair enough for the franchisee to challenge, mm-hmm. but uh, and maybe we'll get onto this in the discussion, how you challenge people is very important yeah. because you can be a healthy sceptic and say, can you just give me some more information about what research has been done behind this marketing program or what piloting has been done? And that's a good question to ask. Question. And I think if you ask it in a respectful way and you listen, then you can have a really robust, good conversation and you may end up challenging the franchise store to go back and do a better job, mm-hmm. you know, in their, in their planning. But if you become a cynic and you just kind of say, oh, that, that'll never work, then, well, you know, it's, it's that self-fulfilling prophecy in life. If you think it's not going to work, well, surprise, surprise, it's probably not going to work because you want to prove yourself right. I remember, I mean, it rings bells when I was working in advertising, uh, mm. it was my job to sell the creative ideas to the client, okay, to mm-hmm. present and convince and sell the ideas to the client. I made a point of sitting with the creative people during the concept development stage so I got to understand where on earth did that idea come from and why is it strategically right, why is it on brief, why should the client buy it? And in doing that, my success rate was very high in, in selling the ideas into clients because I yep. could share the the, the, the journey. And I, it's the same with, with these the franchisees who might challenge the marketing. Yes. It's really incumbent to understand the why, isn't it? Why, the why is critical. Yeah. And, and I think you, you may have listeners on the call who are franchisors listening to the the program, and I think a message I've got for, for, for people who are on that side of the fence is you really need to treat your franchisees with, a, with an enormous amount of respect. Don't patronise them. And you need to almost treat them like a client as though you are the advertising agency and you have to explain to them the rationale as to why you're spending their money mm-hmm. on certain things. Because in most cases, most of the marketing in a franchise, Tim, is the franchisee's money. They pull their funds into a marketing fund. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think the franchisee does have every right to, to challenge and ask the questions about, well, what's the rationale behind it? And the franchisor needs to have good answers mm-hmm. to that. Mm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Maybe challenge or at least just, I would have thought, understand, just understand how's, how'd this idea come about? Why is it the right thing to do for our business? Yeah. But um, Tim, if I could just say one other thing. You, you were saying why, why do people not follow the system? Yeah. I think um, sometimes it's ego 
that, like, I think I can do this better. Mm-hmm. And I think if you do have a big ego, um, nothing wrong with a big ego, you just need to manage it mm-hmm. and have enough self-awareness to, to ask yourself, am I, doing, am I challenging or wanting to recreate this to prove to other people how great I am or am I doing it to be more successful for the business's sake? So they're subtly different. Mm-hmm. One's about you and one's about the business. If, if and, you go yeah. on. Sorry. So, so I, was, I, was, I guess what I'm saying is that it's okay to, to challenge and push the boundaries a bit, but do it for the, for the right reasons. Yep. Um, I, I also think stay, stay very close to what's working with your colleagues in a franchise group. And if things are working for others, chances are they probably work for you as well. Mm-hmm. But if you find that something, you know, a few of you are having the same problems or a, a particular system doesn't seem to quite be hitting the mark, I think that's when you need to go back to your franchisor and say, look, I've got a bit of evidence here that this isn't as working as well as it could. He, explain what your evidence is and then ask, invite them in to have a discussion with you about how we can improve this. Mm-hmm. So you're working together in a, in a true partnership. Clearly communication is everything. It is, and I've, I've sort of talked a lot about, you know, this idea of a profitable partnership where you're not legally in partnership together and some of the lawyers might get a little bit sort of um, nervous about talking about partnerships because the nature of the relationship, it's a business relationship, not a, not a legal partnership. Mm-hmm. But for all intents and purposes, you're pooling your resources together to get a competitive edge. And the more you can share knowledge and resources and ideas, the better everyone in the group's going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm. Greg, Greg, why would I, uh, putting aside, we won't talk specific brands here, but why would I buy, say, a a juice, a juice franchise versus just going and starting a juice shop. Yeah, uh, I think you've got to look at um, the strength of a brand and how well known and how re- well respected that brand is, because that that enables you to hit the ground running. If it's a new site, mm-hmm. you'll you'll virtually have customers from day one. Most businesses take a couple of years to build up, so to, to build up to a point where you're really breaking even and you and you understand the business well enough to, to run it really efficiently. If you kind of buy a, a brand that if you use the juice analogy um, and it's got that reputation, well you should be profitable within the first month or two, providing, wow. you know, if it's in a busy shopping centre, the brand's well known, mm-hmm. you, 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 you'll get the support from the franchisor to get your team trained. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you open, everything's ticking over and the franchisor will normally have their own team working in the business with you. Mm-hmm. For um, I was with a franchisor today, actually, and they devote a team to keep an eye on the franchise all for the for the franchisee for the first year of their business. Gee, that doesn't mean they're in good, there every week, but they're like a coach that's available on call for the first year to make sure the franchisee has mastered all the essentials. Mm. So that can save you an incredible amount of money and heartache and uh, upfront. Tell me, Greg, when you're deciding to, if there are people listening deciding to think, oh, you know what, I'm going to buy a franchise, do they need to look at franchises in which they have experience or passion or connections? How do you, I mean, there's a lot of franchises out there. How do you, yeah. how would you decide which one to buy? 
Mm. Well, look, what, what's really interesting is with we do a lot of research across different brands. We, we find that if someone is successful in a, in a business, doesn't matter what the brand is, if that person wants to run another business in a different industry and has an interest in that other industry, they will probably be successful. And in the latest study we've done, we've found that the biggest predictor of success the most successful franchisees as if they've run a successful franchise before in a different industry altogether. Mm-hmm. So I think um, there are certain business skills that are that are transferable across all businesses, like, you know, people skills, business acumen, local area marketing, the stuff you talk a lot about. Mm-hmm. But it does help if you've got a genuine interest or what you called a passion for the product or the service. It helps an enormous amount. And in our latest research, we've discovered that franchisees who have a strong sense of what we call brand passion, and we define that is you feel proud to wear that brand, you know, on your on your uniform. When you're at a barbecue and people say, what do you do? You don't just say, you know, I sell mortgages. You actually say, I belong to such and such mortgage group and it's fantastic mm-hmm. and, you, you know, you should look at this and, by the way, can I oh, – here's my business card. Mm-hmm. So they've got this passion for the product or the service. These people um, do significantly better, not only financially – but they have a better life. They, they enjoy themselves a lot more. And that, that counts for a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. A lot of common sense here, isn't there? It's like you're talking about, we were having a dedicated discussion about franchises, but, you know, this is just, it's applicable to any small business. Well, it's applicable to anything in life. If you, you know, like, it's interesting, I was a research assistant at Monash Uni for many years. And, you know, I used to wander down the corridors looking at people in white coats, you know, in laboratories, in pe- looking at petri dishes, and if you were to wander up to one of these people and say, "What are you doing?" they would talk you talk you, to you for hours about what they were doing with the, with, the, with an incredible amount of enthusiasm. Mm. To someone else, it's like, "Why would you want to be poking, you know, in a petri dish all day?" Mm. So, I think in any area of life, if you see meaning and purpose in what you're doing, you're going to be more successful at it. You're going to have more energy, and it's going to be a lot more fun. Mm. Mm. One of the things I hear uh, a lot from, from franchisees uh, is there is – just want to talk marketing specifically yeah. here. They do feel restricted by what they can and can't do, which, you know, mm. it's fair. You're buying into a brand yeah. and that someone's got to control that brand and that's the franchisor. Um, but there are things that franchisees can do at a marketing level. Do you just want to touch on that? Yeah, and I think just before we, we explain – you know, what they should and shouldn't do. It's good to understand why that when you're talking about the brand and the brand recognition um, and the power of a brand, that's come about over many years often of investment. So if you look at the in a typical franchise, let's say you've got 100 franchisees and, um, you know, they might be pouring, you know, as a group, you know, $20 million a year into the brand between them. And you put accumulate that over years, you're, you're looking at hundreds of millions of dollars have gone into building a certain brand profile or a positioning of the brand. You don't want people messing with that. No. And it only takes one person to do something stupid, particularly these days with the power of social media. Um, one bad customer experience can go viral and do serious damage 
to the to the other 99 franchisees who have also who have invested in that brand mm-hmm. not to mention the 100 who are yet to come and the franchisor so franchise groups can be quite precious and rightly so mm. about how the brand is being used so that's the reason why they can almost come across nazi like mm-hmm. in terms of you must not do this and you know if you do that you'll be in trouble Um, Now, in terms of, you know, the parameters, it's important the franchisor explains to the franchisees, this is what our brand means, like the values that that we're trying to promote through the brand. This is the sort of reputation we want people to to, for our group to have. And if we were to ask people, what do you think about this brand? We want them all to say these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So it's important franchise groups have a lot of these discussions with their franchisees. And then it's a matter of saying, now, given that we all understand this, go out and do whatever you want to do, but make sure that it doesn't undermine any of these things that we've talked about. And I think that's important. So franchisees do need to be given a lot of freedom to to try out new things as long as they, you know, if the brand stands for high quality and speed um, that and, and a certain flavour, mm-hmm then the franchise has obviously got to stick to those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and, that, and, that being said, yeah. there's often a whole history of things that have worked and a smart franchisee would be looking to what has worked with other franchisees and worked in the past and just piggyback on that. Mm. You don't need to often reinvent a lot of new stuff. We used to do this at Flight Centre. Flight Centre wasn't, isn't a, a franchise group, but, um, you know, we had a, a lot of stores, a lot of stores out there. And as marketing yeah. manager, one of the marketing managers at Flight Centre, we all made a point of getting together on a weekly basis because generally, you mm. know, one of the marketing managers was good at generating media coverage. Another one was really good at, at putting packages together with wholesalers. Another one seemed to nail their advertising and it was like, you know, let's share. Like, how did you do that? How did you do yeah. that? And then, you know, exchange of that information was just critical. It allowed us all to grow. And, and this is one of the, the great things about franchise groups. When they're well managed and well led, they spend quite a lot of time getting the franchisees together and they almost act like facilitators. So, you might get, you know, 30 franchisees in a room, in round tables, and you do this, Tim, I've seen you do this in your seminars, mm. and get them sharing amongst each other. Yeah. What's something you've done that, that added, you know, got got extra dollars in the average sale per customer or, or attracted more yep. customers into your business? And that sharing of information can be magnified by 100 or 200 stores. It's yep. very powerful. No, I, I just Let's just expand on that because without going to sp- to specifics listeners, Greg and I were uh, running, uh, uh, talking at a conference last week and it was amazing. I'd, I'd identified, I heard one franchisee share an idea with one of the counter staff from this franchise group and it was like, it was an idea that generated that one store an extra $300 a week. So it was like, wow, you know, there must be a lot of those ideas floating around this group that just aren't getting heard. So we literally went round the table and got each table to share one idea that could generate additional dollars immediately uh, the next day. And it was amazing what came out, wasn't it? You just It was. And in fact, I know, I know I've heard that one store's gone back and implemented one of those ideas in their business mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. 
I think one of the other things in, in the franchise groups, um, they have a, a, a role called a field consultant or a field manager. Mm-hmm. These people go around and they usually, you know, come once a month and spend a couple of hours in your business. Smart franchisees are picking the brains of these people and saying, tell me what other franchisees are doing at the moment that's working for them. And what I want you to do is to explain to me how you think I could apply that into my business and let's work together and do up a little marketing plan Mm -hmm. around some of these ideas. So that's really making, that's going to the next level. So not only are you driving the franchise systems well, but you're also squeezing every bit of value out of the staff of the franchise or to give you that extra good service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Greg, um, it's, been a, it's been a lovely, happy conversation up until now, but I'm guessing you've got some horror stories. I am guessing there are some just some stories deep down that would make any franchisee or franchisee squirm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know. Go on, share some. All right. Well, I think you know. I explained earlier. There's two. There's two roles: the franchisee and the franchisor. And the horror stories can come, you know, from either. Yeah. And sometimes you get horror stories coming because the parties just clash together and produce. Something terrible. Mm-hmm. So let, let's start with the with the franchisor. Okay. Um, I'm looking forward to this. All right. So <laughs> if the franchisor is not mature enough in terms of their leadership ability, mm-hmm. and leadership is all about getting other people to, you know, to put goals and aspirations into practice. Mm-hmm. And so if you're turning off the franchisees against you rather than getting them on side... Uh, that can produce a lot of pain and disappointment for the whole group. Uh, also, from the franchisor's point of view, if they don't, they may be well intentioned and they may be quite charismatic in their leadership style, but if they're not doing thorough research mm. before rolling out new initiatives, they can cause a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm if I'm you know one business owner with one business and I introduce a new product and it crashes and burns, well, I'll, I'll sort of pay the consequences. But imagine rolling out something to 100 stores at once and it crashes and burns, how much damage and anger that mm-hmm. would create amongst the group and, mm-hmm. and also amongst the customers in some cases. So the horror story there is a franchisor that doesn't know what they're doing. And um, to a certain extent, you can protect yourself against that by doing good research when you buy into the franchise. However... There's nothing to stop franchise companies, as in any organisations, changing their staff. So while you were the marketing manager at you know, a particular company, you may leave and another marketing manager comes along and that person might be a bit of a disaster mm-hmm. and, and everyone pays the price. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you can protect yourself before getting in and sometimes if you, do, if you don't believe that someone in the franchise or company is doing a good job, you owe it to yourself and your fellow franchisees to to let it be known mm-hmm. what your concern is, why you have a concern, and take it to the right people, you know, in, in a mature way and negotiate mm-hmm. a way forward. Now, from the franchisee's point of view, sometimes you'll get franchisees who are very political and for whatever reason, they have a need to be the centre of attention. And if they're not happy about something, they can cause a bit of mischief yep. by getting other franchisees to form almost like a lobby group yep. and uh, have secret meetings. And I've even seen franchisees get together to overthrow mm. the franchise or like a, like a coup. Yep. And this is incredibly damaging to a group because it distracts 
the franchisees from doing what they really need to be focusing on, mm. which is serving customers and, and creating happy customers. Mm. And the group gets very internally focused and turns into a bit of a bloody battleground for a while. Lawyers can get involved. And I've seen sales in those sorts of situations. Across a group, sales will drop 10% in a month, I th- I right across too, the group. And you made a point of this in, in your book, Profitable Partnerships, which was a fantastic read, by the way. And I Thanks. just thought, you know, franchisees need to remember that they're representing an overarching brand. And if I were to go into, you know, let's just say Baker's Delight uh, in my local suburb and had a bad experience and then I go interstate and go to another Baker's Delight, that reflects on that other Baker's Delight interstate, you know. Yeah, it affects on everybody, yeah. It affects on everyone and and that in itself is, uh, I guess that's both the the positive and the negative of franchising. Well, there's been, I mean, I I, I pay, you know, a bit of interest to this for obvious reasons because this is my living, but I, I particularly, my ears prick up when I see a franchise brand mentioned in the media and there's been um, a few recently, there's been some unfortunate incidents, it wasn't anybody's fault, but a customer did have a bad experience and the media got hold of it mm. and have plastered it, you know, over the newspapers and on social media. In other cases, a franchisee or even the staff of a franchisee has done the wrong thing mm-hmm. by a customer and it's got out into the media. In one case, a very large, uh, fra- very well-respected franchise brand in Australia, um, one of the franchisees was underpaying their staff mm-hmm. and... N- not only did they get into trouble and they got fined quite a few thousand dollars from, by a government agency, but it was all over the media that this particular brand was underpaying its staff. But in fact, it was only one store. Mm. So this is the dark the side, brand. the yeah. underbelly of belonging to a group. Yeah, yeah. You'd yeah, be putting your trust in not just the franchisor, but the, you know, every franchisee to do the right thing. Yeah. I, I want to just talk... Um, Globally, I'm really interested to know, well, what is the most successful franchise in the world? I don't know whether you know that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mean to surprise you with it, but is, right. yeah. what is the most successful in the world? Um, and where's the growth area in franchising at the moment? Yeah, all right. Now, I'm not avoiding your question, Tim. Come on. But when you say success... Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of the entrepreneur magazines and so on, they have these, and even BRW does this as well. They say, you know, what's the fastest growing? Okay, let's go, let's, well, let's break it, it down. Um, yeah. What's the franchise group that has the most uh, franchisees in the world? Let's start there. Yeah, I think um, 7-Eleven. Really? Would be up there, yep. They have... Um, a lot. Of, I don't know the actual number, but you're looking at tens of thousands of franchisees around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and Subway would be way up there as well, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of numbers of franchisees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Then what's another way of carving up that, answering that question? Um, I would say, you know, who, who's making the most money okay. and who's who's kind of in a, in a sweet spot that they're still going to be around in three, three yeah, to five good, years. Good, que- good two questions. All very well to be a flash in the pan. Yep. Um, and, uh, look, there's a few um, industries that are starting to emerge as, as um, you know, quite strong growth industries. Uh, aged care is in America in particular has emerged as a very strong growth industry. And there's many, many franchise groups who are doing very well in that space. It's starting to gain traction in Australia. Mm-hmm. 
So, so that would be one interesting area. Home services have, um, you know, been a growth industry for the last 20 years, um, you know, like, you know, cleaning and dog washing and so on. And look, while you, you may not end up, you know, d- being a millionaire in running a home services franchise, if you organise yourself well, and you follow your franchisor's guidelines and you may bring on a couple of staff to help you, you can make a very good profit from, mm-hmm. from some of those small businesses for a very small investment up front. So you might invest, you know, 20 or 30 grand up front and you're not just buying yourself a job, you are actually generating a good lifestyle for yourself mm-hmm. and a very good, um, you know, cash flow and a very good um, profit. I always thought Jim's as a franchise, overarching franchise name, uh, has, has been quite an interesting case study in branding. Uh, for overseas listeners, Jim started off as Jim's Mowing. It was a garden maintenance service business, but there's now Jim's Dog Wash, Jim's Antennas, Jim's Bookkeeping. I mean, yeah. I, I think there's 10 He's got th- 10 over 30 different, um, sectors. different types of businesses. Wow. Yeah, and, and, and look, some of them, some of those businesses um, do very well. Some, some wouldn't do as well, and that's where you've got to do your homework. The most useful thing you can do if you're looking to buy into a franchise, talk to at least twelve franchisees mm-hmm. and ask them. I mean, don't don't be afraid to ask the, the really blunt questions like, "Can you tell me how much money you're making, mm-hmm. <laughs> and how long did it take you to get to the to, to break even?" Mm-hmm. And uh, knowing what you know now, would you do it again? And if not, why not? Yeah, great questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite franchise, Greg? Uh, I don't answer that question. <laughs> I'll tell you why. And you're this, in the business this comes, of helping lots. Yeah, this comes back to something we touched on earlier. Yeah. That the leadership of the franchise group makes all the difference. And I can give you like two, two franchise chains who are operating in the same industry, mm-hmm. selling almost the same product, mm-hmm. and one is blitzing it. Happy franchisees, profitable, mm-hmm. you know, happy customers, and the other is not going that well. Mm-hmm. And the reason inevitably is who's leading the group. Let me rephrase the question yes. then and <laughs> ask you, um, as a marketer, um, which brand, which franchise brand do you look at going, wow, they've done a really good job at, at creating a fantastically strong brand? Yeah, I think, um, like you mentioned Baker's Delight earlier, I think um, the Gillespie's who, who, who founded that group have done a fantastic job at, del- del- they tick most of the boxes in terms of um, good culture, um, profit, profitable business model, and they're constantly looking to reinvent how they're marketing themselves to the market. And they put a lot of emphasis on their local franchisees being local area marketing experts. Yeah, do they? Yeah. So, you know, being the local hero in terms of the local bakery, mm-hmm. getting involved, you know, they have school children coming into the bakeries, doing tours, and they really do a nice job at connecting with the community at the local level. Mm. And, uh, and I know that, that they're very passionate about preserving the profit margins of the franchisee. So that would be an example of a, a group that's been going now for over 20, probably nearly 30 years and have managed to continue to reinvent themselves and keep their business model fresh and profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the Boost Juice team have done a great job in you know keeping their culture vibrant 
and keeping you know their their product fresh, mm-hmm. and they've got a very clear idea of what their brand stands for, and they live it. Yeah, they in terms of how they train their their stores and so on. Uh, look, there's some good brands in the in the um, mortgage broking industry. I think Smartline have done a good job. What's the weirdest? It, what's the weirdest franchise you've ever seen? The weirdest franchise. Uh, there's a poop, a dog poop, um, picket poop scoop, poop scoop franchise. Goodness uh, me! At what, point, point again, at what point would you go? You know, you've got the brochures. I always like thinking going into that the, the meeting where they made the decision to go into that. It's like you've got the brochures in front of you. You go into bread. You go into juices. Then there's that poop scooping franchise opportunity. Like. What would you know? The numbers would have to be so incredibly good. Oh, I think some people <laughs> just like to serve. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't wow. think you'd be a, you'd be a millionaire in that one. But it's it's but, a little business that some people you know might want to you know young people might want to get into. Oh, and, there's so many lines there. Yeah. There's so many lines, but I just don't want to have to put the uh, the censored tick on the iTunes listing. But but it, but it is interesting that you could virtually say in, in every conceivable industry in the world, a I reckon you'll find a franchise in there. Yeah, right. And um, uh, in the early days of, you know, when I was sort of getting my business set up, there was in farming, there was some very interesting uh, franchises, you know, insemination of sheep franchises, uh, seed franchises where they're sorting seed sizes. So you can virtually specialise mm-hmm through, you know, developing a, a very efficient system around something and providing it sustainable, you can build a very good business model around it. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Uh, Greg, th- thank you so much for sharing uh, this. Now, you've got your own business, which is franchise relations, the Franchise Relationships Institute. So you are out there marketing your own business. You've written a book, yeah. Big Tick, mm-hmm. love that. I think that's a great thank marketing you. tool, better than handing a business card over. You did it to me last week. You gave me your book instead of the business card. I did, and look, do you know that I've never advertised that book? I've never paid for advertising. Yeah. And we've sold over 60,000 copies of that book globally, Goodness. and most of it is just word of mouth. Goodness me. Yeah. That's tremendous. What What other mm-hmm. marketing do you, do you do in your business? Uh, I give talks. Mm-hmm. Um, to industry associations. So I try and get in front of uh, my potential audience. And, you know, if you're giving a a talk at a conference, for instance, for our sort of business, you might have, you know, 30 potential clients in the audience. Mm -hmm. If you just do a really good job, don't try and sell yourself. Just deliver really good content that adds value. People will naturally want – it builds trust and, you know, people will want to work with you. A lot of our work is because I'm fanatical about quality, um, we we have a 96% uh, satisfaction rate from our clients. We get a lot of client referral and a lot of repeat business. So we've got clients working with us, you know, for for same clients since I started the business 23 years ago. What are you going to do about those 4% that are dissatisfied? Um, talk to them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's not that they're dissatisfied. It's just that uh, we, we have a formula and we calculate a score and we have a 96% score. So we're, after every job I do, we, we actually seek feedback from the, the client. What do we do well? How could we improve? And I, I read all those and I, I take everything on board. I'm interested in your, your industry talk strategy because I think that's a fantastic strategy that... Mm-hmm. Listeners, I, I encourage you to get up on stages and speak because it is a good marketing strategy. How do you do? You actively pursue 
opportunities to talk at industry events? Do you have someone identifying industry events ongoing? Do you just get asked yeah. that to attend them? How's it work? Uh, a lot of, the, you know, good business, as you know, Tim, is done through relationships. And this is a tip for everybody. In our research, we've, we've sort of found again and again that successful people pay a lot of attention to the relationships they build. They build what I, I would call a network of supporters for their business. So I think if you've got that brand passion for what you do, just keep talking to people and about what you do and why it's so fantastic. And you'll inevitably find, I don't know how this works, but the right people just seem to come along from time to time and say, you know, you're so enthusiastic about what you do. We've got this, you know, talk coming up or a conference coming up. Would you be interested in coming along? So I think just tell as many people as possible about what you do. Yeah. Do good work. Um, and, and write a book. Write a the book. <laughs> the book is very useful. Yeah, I have to say that it gives you a level of credibility that you can't get by just telling people that yeah. you're good. Yeah. I also, the first uh, 10 years of my business, Tim, I did a lot of free work, um, like volunteer work oh, yep. on committees. So I joined the franchise in, in our industry. It's the, you know, the franchise sector, the Franchise Council of Australia. I joined committees. I spent a lot of time um, contributing my time. I actually organised conferences for them. Mm-hmm. And in organising the conference, often they'll say, oh, well, you should also have a spot as a speaker at the conference as well. So it's a little bit of you you help others and others will help you. Greg, Nathan, it's, it's fantastic to have the, um, the franchise conversation on small business, big marketing. I think it should have been done sooner. So uh, thanks for so Thank much you. for appearing. Thanks, Tim. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed uh, that chat, that fireside chat with Greg. Uh, Lots to share there. Uh, In fact, one of the things I've asked Greg uh, to do in the future is to hook me up with a successful franchisee uh, who's doing great local area marketing, who's going about owning their local area in a very big way. So he has promised to do that, and that will be an upcoming interview. I'm just having a look at Greg's book, which, as I said um, at the start, is called Profitable Partnerships, and he's got a wonderful quote in here which says, in a franchise network, when people stop sharing knowledge and resources, you no longer have a network but a bunch of individuals battling it out alone. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I've just started um, my deep dive mastermind, and it's bringing together small business owners around a virtual table each week and batting it out together because alone we are nowhere near as powerful as the multiple and I had my first session this week with nine small business owners sitting around a virtual table via webinar hosted by me and the power of that mastermind was fantastic. Everyone sitting around the virtual table got to pose a marketing question of me which I answered but the power of the group answering the questions, providing solutions as well was incredible and um, just Greg that comment about batting it out battling it out alone you know as small business owners we do that so often you know we're trapped in our shops or behind our computers and we're working alone and it can be a lonely existence so I do encourage you to first of all get out there and find other small businesses small business owners just like you and network and share ideas on a regular basis diarise it if you want to take it one step further 
check out deepdivemastermind.com because that is my mastermind group and there is a waiting list now forming for the next one. I only ever take 10 at a time. Um, there is a waiting list for the next one which will open up in the new year in 2013. So um Look out for that. It is a great way of ensuring that you stay on marketing track. Enough of that. Thank you for tuning in. Smallbusinessbigmarketing.com is where you can find out all about me and the show, all those wonderful past interviews where there have been some amazing marketing gems shared by my guest. Got some big guests coming up too, by the way, in the weeks to come. We never rest at Small Business Big Marketing headquarters. Until next time, may your marketing be absolutely tremendous. See you next time. Bye. You've been listening to the Small Business Big Marketing Show with Tim Reid. Want more marketing goodness? Then visit smallbusinessbigmarketing.com.